The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Christmas is a few weeks away. It's like 18 days away, which is always so weird when I'm all of a sudden you hit, um, is that right? Yeah, so all of a sudden when you hit December and you're like, oh my gosh, Christmas is right around the corner. If you couldn't tell from my amazing Christmas sweater of a pyramid of teddy bears, yeah, spelling out Christmas. Oh, another pyramid of teddy bears. And there I thought this was a design original. That's too bad. Uh... Anyways, um, I, my name is Janie. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And um, I think my favorite Christmas movie is probably A Christmas Story. It's a classic. The dad, actually, I think, is the funniest part of that whole movie. Fragile and all that stuff. But the thing that I noticed about Christmas movies as I was thinking about them is that they always seem to involve some sort of expectation. That you're going to get some sort of expectation. Like... Uh, of what's going to happen, and then it usually doesn't necessarily turn out that way. Like the Grinch, the Grinch expected he was going to be able to steal Christmas away from Whoville, but then he discovered that it wasn't about all the stuff that they got, and his expectations were changed. And then with um, Clark Griswold, Christmas Vacation, he expected to get his Christmas bonus to make a down payment for a swimming pool, but instead he got the gift of... The jelly of the month club, the gift that keeps on giving. So his expectations were dashed. And then Elf expected to meet his dad, and he met his dad, so my analogy kind of dies there. But (laughs) my point is that Christmas, a lot of times, is about expectations. And I myself had expectations. I think of one particular Christmas when I was a kid. Um, I I have an older sister, and she's like eight years older than me, so she's quite a bit... um, Older than me, and when I was eight, she was 16, and she had, this was the mid-80s. She had pretty amazing hair. She would put hot rollers in it every day, and then she would feather it back. I mean, and it was this, you know, huge body of waves, and I just loved her hair. She had blonde hair, too, so I loved it, and so I wanted my hair to look like hers. And so one Christmas, my mom's gift to me was to get... Um, a perm so that I could have hair like hers. And my hair is straight, stick straight. Now, this was the 80s. Everybody got perms. It was the normal thing to do. Um, but my experience was I remember going to the beauty salon, and I had expectations of what it was going to look like in my head. And I remember sitting in the salon and the chemical burning my scalp. can't imagine what carcinogenic that is, but, hey, whatever. Suffer for beauty. So I was sitting there. Getting that burned in my, in my scalp and then the beautician, you know, took out all the perm rods and then she dried my hair and I looked in the mirror and I was shocked at what I saw because it was not what I expected. I actually have a picture of what my perm looked like. Yeah. Does it? It looks like I'm wearing a fro wig, but I am not. That was my hair. And this is how straight my hair is. So that was one Christmas um, when I was younger, and I didn't leave the house um, for a while. My mom doesn't have a grill. She has braces at that time, so that's what that picture is. Uh, shining silver. My expectations were disappointed, and tonight we're going to... You can take the picture down. Um, 
Tonight we're going to look at expectations and what happens when our expectations are disappointed. But before we do that, I want to review a little bit. If you've been here this quarter, this is the final in of fall quarter, which is crazy. Um, don't worry, we'll be back in January, same time, same channel. But if you've been here this quarter, you know that we've been going through the book of Revelation all quarter. And we've been able to see that it's last book of the Bible. It has a lot to teach us, even though it doesn't tell us anything new that wasn't in the previous 65 books. Um, John gives us some visions that he had of heaven, and he gives us new lenses through which to see the stories of Scripture, which is really exciting. And John is sharing these visions, and in a way, he's kind of pulling back the curtain of the reality that we see, he's showing us what's behind the reality that we can't see, the spiritual reality that we normally don't get a glimpse of. And the past few weeks, we've actually been looking at one particular chapter, Revelation chapter 12, because it gives us a picture of Christmas, it seemed appropriate. And a couple weeks ago, Liz talked about the woman, the pregnant woman we see in Revelation 12, who is Mary, Jesus' mother. And then Ryan last week talked about the beast, the dragon from Revelation 12, um, and what it symbolized evil in all its forms in the world. And tonight we're going to revisit chapter 12, and we're going to look at the final character, the baby, that's in that chapter. So we're going to look at it. Deja vu all over again, vuja day, as Ryan says. Um, and we're going to take a look. But before we do, I'm going to stop a minute and pray for us. God, we thank you that you have come down to us and that you have made yourself known to us. And we thank you that we get to experience you during this season. And God, I pray that you would be with us here tonight. Speak to us through your word. Remind us of why it is that we gather to glorify your name. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 12, um, the first few verses. One more time. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert and to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Verse 9 says, The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth. So that is chapter 12 to review. Um, the woman and the dragon are symbols. They point beyond themselves to another reality. Um, the woman, we're not going to find a literal woman clothed in the sun with her feet on the moon. She is pointing beyond herself. And we're not going to find a literal dragon with seven heads and ten horns. But we are going to find a male baby. We are going to find a son. The baby is just that, a baby. He doesn't point beyond himself to any other reality. 
And this baby that is born of the woman that is attempted to be stolen by the dragon is Jesus. And the reason we know it's Jesus is it says that he has in his hand a rod of iron. And this fulfills prophecies from the Old Testament, including Psalm 2 that says he will rule with a rod of iron. And a rod is a symbol of a shepherd. Jesus is a great shepherd. And an an iron is a symbol of power and strength. Jesus has no equal in strength. Now, the the season that we're in right now is a season of Advent. And it, it acknowledges waiting. Waiting for the birth of Jesus. Living in darkness. Like for those of us who are this far north, darkness at 4 p.m. Waiting around for God to come down to earth, to move into the neighborhood, and to get some stuff done. So we anticipate the coming of the Messiah and all it means for the world. Now the advantage that we have 2,000 years after the birth We already know how great and amazing and insert superlative here the birth of Jesus is for us and all the world. We know what that is about. But we only have to glance at the Old Testament to see that the nation of Israel was anxiously waiting for this Messiah that was going to come. The gift of a Savior that was going to come and help them in their time of need. Now sometimes... When we have to wait for something, when we know it's coming, but we just don't know when, we can, in our heads, kind of develop a picture, an expectation of what it's going to look like. An expectation that when the gift finally comes, we're kind of like, well, that's not what I thought it was going to look like. It's a little bit disappointing. I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're thinking about what it was going to look like, and then when it comes, you're like... Well, that kind of sucks. I had this experience. Again, my siblings were older than I was. And so when they were in high school when I was in fifth grade. This was about a year after the perm grew out, so I left the house. And I was, um, I always got to watch them in their dating relationships. All right? This is something that I had huge expectations for. I was really excited for my first boyfriend. And I remember wondering what it was going to be like. I had all these pictures in my head of what it was going to be like. And then the day came in fifth grade where I got the requisite note that said, from Josh Green, he was shorter than I was, but it was fifth grade, you know, what can you do? Um, (laughs) No big deal. Um, It said, Janie, will you go out with me? Check yes or no. I don't think maybe it was on there. I didn't have an option. Um, So after having conversations, Giggling for, you know, a little while about it with my friends, uh, I checked yes. So for nine glorious days, we were going out. But what the relationship looked like was, um, we didn't look at each other, we didn't talk to each other. He was on that side of the playground with all the boys, and I was on this side of the playground with all the girls. And then all of a sudden, after nine days, it was over. And I remember just being, you know, kind of dumbfounded, like, wait, that was it? That was what I was waiting for. That was the expectation I had for so long. I don't know if I'm going to do that again anytime soon. I had huge expectations, and they were disappointed. If we look at the prophets and the Psalms of the Old Testament, they had expectations for this gift from God. The expectations for the Messiah of Israel that was going to come in and save them from their enemies and from their enemies' sins, first from Egypt and then from Assyria and then from Babylon and then from the Romans. They thought this Messiah was going to come in and rule like a king, 
military conquests against all of these nations that oppose them. And the Israel that Jesus was born into was occupied by the Roman Empire. So everybody thought the Messiah was going to come in and overthrow the Romans. That's what their expectations were. They were pretty huge. However, the gift of the Messiah didn't look much like that at all. At least on the surface, from what people could see. So let's take a look at what happened. We're familiar with the birth narrative. Um, If we've been to church during Christmas at all, Luke chapter 2 tells a little bit of the birth narrative. We're just going to look at a little bit of it. Um, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the coming of Jesus fulfills prophecies of the Old Testament, but the expectations that you had about this gift of a Messiah was that it would be a mighty king, like the kings of the powerful nations and empires that surrounded you. And this is what you heard. Do you think you might have been a little disappointed by these humble beginnings? Wait a minute. Okay. You're telling me the Messiah, the Savior who's going to vanquish all my enemies, was born in a barn to an impoverished couple under the shadow of scandal because she's already pregnant. And this Messiah who's going to get rid of all of my enemies is sleeping in a feeding trough. Okay, been to the stable, saw it, not worth the price of admission. If this is our Messiah, we're in for some trubs. I mean, this is ridiculous. A Messiah who didn't come to deliver his people from the enemies could hardly be considered a full-blooded Messiah. This is it? A liberator who came people came to save people from their own sins and not from their sinners? No, that's worthless. What's the point of that? At the time, from all appearances, what everybody could see of Jesus, he was not a very exciting and he was not a very promising gift. He was a disappointment. He did not measure up to expectations. So here's a question I want you to consider. What happens when your expectations are not fulfilled? What happens when your expectations for anything, for other people, don't really go the way that you thought they would? If you're anything like me, my guess is you probably can be disappointed, angry, Search for reasons as to why it would happen. Often blame other people. You put the burden on him, on them, right? They were supposed to follow through for you. I deserve this thing. Or maybe we blame God. Why are you doing what I thought you were going to do? You, you called me to be a doctor. I thought that's what you said, and now I can't get into medical school. What's that about? You gave me the desi- this desire in my heart to have a husband or wife, and now I'm all alone. What is the deal with that? These expectations that I have, they're completely unmet. It reminds me of this comic I used to have in my office, um, where this guy's praying and he says, okay, now here's my plan. This is the way it's going to go. 
I think what happens is like what happened with Israel. Expectations lead us to arrogance. They lead us to a place where we say we come first. And only the way we expect things to go is the way they can go. We determine what things look like. The expectation is that because Jesus doesn't look like much on the surface, he's not worth much. He's not going to amount to much. However, the great thing about the book of Revelation, again, as we've seen this whole time, is things are not as they seem. On earth, it was just the simple birth of a baby. But in heaven, it was something else entirely. If we continue on in the story of Luke, there's this tiny little glimpse that we get um, in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, of what was going on in heaven at the time. And there were shepherds. This is right when Jesus was born. Shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the same song that John saw in Revelation, that John heard in Revelation. The angels are singing. When Jesus is born, this glimpse of heaven is actually made known. And we read that with the birth of this child, the dragon, the beast, all the evil in the world is thrown out of heaven, cast out of heaven. Now, the spiritual battle between between God and evil has been going on for a very long time. And we see finally in Revelation 12, heaven experiences a decisive victory. But surprise... This victory is won on earth. No one expected that. Ordinarily, the things that happen in heaven have implications for what goes on on earth. But this time, what happens on earth has profound implications for heaven. Because God came down from heaven. The war between God and evil, the war in heaven is won through the birth of a child on earth. The war is won through the life of a child. The war is won through the preaching and healing and teaching ministry of a child, through the crucifixion of a child, through the resurrection of a child, through the ascension of a child to the throne of God. We can see now why the angel singing in Luke was such a big deal. And Revelation 12:10 says now the victory has been fulfilled. Now. Not in the future, not in the present, but now. If we look at the birth of Jesus all and all we see is a sweet, sentimental, stable scene, we're missing it. John pulled back the curtain so that we can see, even though people didn't expect this tiny baby to really have an impact as the Messiah, we can see that It looks small, but it is monumental for the entire universe, for all of time. Because Jesus has provided a victory for each of us. The birth of this baby is not sentimental. It's transformational for the entire world. It changes everything. 
The way things work in the world where the strong and the wealthy that are all, they're all on the top and the weak and the lowly and the poor, they're on the bottom. With the birth of Jesus, it's all flipped upside down. Throughout the gospel of Jesus, what is exalted is made low. And what is low is exalted. Those who strive to advance their own lives will lose it. And those who lose their lives for the sake of Christ will find it. We are actually called by Jesus to be peacemakers, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. We are called to actually care for the poor, to help those in need, to get down in the pit with the people who are in the pit in the way that Jesus did. That is a heck of a lot different than this mighty military king coming through the walls with a submachine gun ready to take out all the enemies, right? Kicking butt and taking names. That's what everybody wanted. Instead, it was this tiny baby. And the transformation that happened with this tiny baby was through relationship. Relationship that tells us we got to get rid of hate and persecution. We need to embrace the love and the grace that Jesus has for all of us in relationship. The gospel is about much smaller interactions than anyone expected it to be. Small interactions of healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption. These tiny little interactions that when all of them are added up, They have dramatic, life-changing, earth-altering ramifications. That is how Jesus is the Messiah. Often I think a hang-up for people when it comes to their faith is they have these expectations of instantaneous healing, miraculous, all of a sudden. And And what doesn't happen to them or somebody else, they're like, I'm out. This isn't what I signed up for. Not that miracles can't happen. God can definitely heal in pretty dramatic ways. I've, I've seen it myself in other people's lives. But I think sometimes our expectations of the way God is going to work actually gets in the way of our ability to see God at work. Expectations can hold us back. They can be limiting, frustrating, overwhelming, What are your expectations doing to you in your life? The expectations that you have for how things should look for yourself or other people. Maybe there are expectations that you have with school. That you have for your boyfriend or your girlfriend or or your relationship with your parents. Or your future career. Or a struggle that you're trying to overcome that you just can't overcome. What are the expectations that you have? I bet that all of us in here have stories of how expectations that we have had and that we have demanded, we have expected to happen no matter what, no matter who's involved, we have stories that have destroyed relationships, that have driven us crazy towards perfectionism, that have left us feeling lonely, confused, or maybe... Our expectations are severely limiting the way that we know that God can work. In my personal experience, I have struggled with expectations. I've put them on a lot of people in my life, and I've put them on a lot of circumstances, and I've put them on God. 
One of the biggest struggles that I have dealt with most of my adult life has been a struggle with depression. Most of the time, I'm fine. I can deal with it fine. I manage it fine. Um, pretty even-keeled, not emotional about anything. But there was this one experience I had when I was in graduate school, and it lasted about two years, and I just kind of went off the deep end with the depression that I was having. Um, and I was just at the bottom of the pit for about... Six or seven months, and I, I never was emotional. Six or seven months, pretty much every day, I would cry. And at first, I was like, what is this salty discharge? Like, what's going on? <laughs> but then it would happen, like, every day, and I, I just was beside myself. I didn't know what to do. And I was a kind of a shell of a person. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I was failing all of my classes. And I didn't really know where this was coming from. And I would desperately cry out to God. I called it my crap closet. I would go to my crap closet and I would cry. And I would call out to God and I would say, God, heal me. Do something with this. Take this away from me. And in the crap closet, I didn't find much. I found this sweatshirt. Okay, just kidding. I didn't find a sweatshirt. But I would go to this place and I would say, God, heal me. But here's the thing. No one knew. I didn't tell anyone. I was fine. I put on a mask when I was around people. I was chipper most of the time, you know, I totally acted normal. I didn't want anyone to know. Like Grant was saying earlier, I didn't want to be vulnerable. No one knew about this. And I desperately was crying out to God. One day I got caught. Uh, one of my friends saw that I was crying. She ended up seeing me crying and um, she was asking, you know, what was going on? And it all kind of came spilling out, and I told her, you know, what, what my experience was, was like over the past few months, and I was just desperate for God to actually work in my life. She looked at me and smiled and said, maybe that's why I'm here. And I realized I had put expectations on God about how he could heal me, how he could be at work in my life. I was unwilling to maybe try the friends and community I had around me that that could be a way that God could actually work in my life. A couple weeks ago, Liz shared about the struggle that she's had with anxiety. And last week, Ryan shared about his, his feelings of worthlessness. And you might be thinking, wow, these people at Human have issues. They need to like, set up a room at the human office with like, a camera, like confessional, like the real world or something, so they can you know, get all this out or something. And... One, yes, yes, we do have issues. And two, we already have a webcam. Maybe that will become a confessional place for us. But three, could you imagine how much time the interns would spend in there constantly? Like, I could see Sherms and Wu bragging about how great Wu's jeggings look that he tends to wear all the time. But I, I bring up Liz and Ryan because it, isn't our, it wasn't our intention to focus on brokenness specifically in this looking at Christmas. But every year at Advent, we, what we experience in Advent is we are reminded we need a Savior. And every year at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that our Savior has come. Our Savior has come and our Savior has the last word. No matter what the brokenness is that we have, no matter what the struggle is that we experience, 
Everyone in this room, I know that you have brokenness. There's something that you are struggling with. Jesus has the last word. Those things do not define us. I no longer live in expectation of instantaneous, miraculous healing. But I try to hold on to hope of day-by-day transformation from this baby Jesus that can make us new. While I still have, you know, a crap closet, a place where I can go and cry out and ask for God, that's not all of who I am because I also have an awesome closet. And in there is God's grace and God's mercy, God's truth and God's love. And I have access to that anytime I want. Instead of holding on to unrealistic expectations that leave us disappointed, leave us unable to see God's work, I want to challenge us to be people who instead hold on to hope. I think the difference between expectation and hope is, with expectations, we see the ways in which we're lacking, what it is that we need, things that we want to get. But when we hold on to hope, we're holding on to the blessings that we already have, the things that we already know for sure. This Christmas letter, let your expectations go. And hold on to the hope that can be found in the birth of this tiny baby Jesus. For each of us and for the world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the reality that you, that you go beyond our expectations. You go beyond what we could even hope or imagine. And God, I pray that as we celebrate what Christmas means, the coming of our Messiah, not to vanquish our enemies, but to save us. I pray that we would be able to hold on to hope and celebrate the fact that you are present in each and every one of us, every day of our lives. In your holy name, amen.